Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How much is your data worth? Following several high-profile hacks of consumer websites, we discover it's not just criminals who are prepared to pay for your data, there's a crop of new digital firms who are willing to pay you for it. When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. In a heavy week for UK economic data, the FT's expert Emily Cadman shares why she thinks the consumer spending figures are the most striking. But don't all rush to buy shares in the retailers. Plus, MPs have wrapped the UK tax office for leaving us all hanging on the telephone. We ask if the latest public shaming will ring the changes. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues Hugo Greenhalgh, Emily Cabman, Adam Palin and our special studio guest Paul English, partner at Profit, the global brand and marketing consultancy. First, who controls our personal data? How it is used? sold on and how well companies protect it are all pertinent questions for consumers in this day and age. We may trustingly give large amounts of data away for free, perhaps without realising its true value, but experts now argue the balance is starting to tip in the consumer's favour, with savvy shoppers able to command incentives in the form of deals and discounts, and some even selling their data for cash. I'm joined by Paul English, partner at Profit, the marketing consultancy, and Hugo Greenhouse, the FT's wealth correspondent, who has written all about these issues for FT Money this week. Thanks for joining us today. Firstly, Paul, in the wake of the recent Talk Talk data breach, is it really a wise idea for consumers to potentially put more of their personal information online? I don't know that that specific breach has any kind of material impact on how secure, insecure personal data is. The fact is that we're in a world where data breaches happen with relative frequency. But in the vast kind of scheme of things, it's relatively rare that that somebody's data kind of will be used for nefarious purposes. Now, with that said, the real question comes down to whether I just decide that I want to try to live off the grid and to avoid giving anybody data of any kind, which you'll find to be quite difficult and put Mm. you in quite a lonely position. Or do I try to take a bit of a more measured approach and think more carefully about kind of where my data goes, what permissions I give, and and kind of be smarter about where I place my my numbers? Well, one of the key issues here is privacy. We've heard it time and time again, but is privacy really dead? I think a lot of folks will say that that privacy is dead, and um, I think it's a bit of a cop-out. You know, as long as people have things that they want to protect, whether that be financial information or health information or information about their private lives, uh, their secret lives, privacy will be an issue. 
We're in a place where increasingly we get a lot of high-profile hacks, the advent of drones, the surveillance uh, date that is rising in the UK and abroad definitely gives rise to the sense that everything that we do is being watched, probably, you know, the 1984 scenario coming in into play. With that said, we do have a certain amount of control over what we share with people. Um, and while if we wanted to be defeatist about it, yeah, ultimately, if somebody really wanted to track every detail of your life, they probably could. But if we act in kind of smart ways and understand kind of what we're giving up when we give up data and kind of what we want to protect, then a degree of privacy perhaps is a possible to maintain. Okay, so in this transaction between our privacy and um, what we can get for our data, Hugo, the online version of your cover feature this week contains a link to the FT's personal data calculator. So come on, how much are you apparently worth? Now, I'm, I'm going to tease you at this point, and also my mum, if she's listening. Uh, you, can, you start off answering a couple of kind of basic questions about uh, yourself, your date of birth, your marital status. Are you a millionaire? Oddly enough, the answer was no to that. And it goes from there to ask about, do you have a bad back? Which point the little ticker in the corner goes up, yes. Am I in the market for a mobile phone? Yes, that adds up to more. So the answer, unfortunately, uh, with all those kind of factors uh, taken into account, is 52p. 52p for the, for the FT's wealth correspondence. I am worth 52 pence. So privacy isn't dead. You're only worth 52p. And the market for this data presumably is, is is tiny you know is this a trend that investors should ignore or is there something for them to jump on here everybody i spoke to said don't they said ignore it uh, come back in a kind of five ten years time when the market is established yeah i think yes or no this is a starter market there are very few companies in which to invest or any three uh, that i know of that are starting up uh, next year citizen me people io and digi me but these are opportunities at the moment this is looking towards the future but the, the key point is it's down to you the consumer if you want this market to be created if you want this market to start then you've got to decide that you want to control your data it's for you to think about how it's being used how it's being analyzed and how it's being sold on i think the the one thing that uh, the, the talk talk breach does tell us is that everybody is vulnerable and if you mm. can control your own data in some fashion not necessarily to sell it or to get discounts but just understand how it's used then this market could be huge let me give you a couple of, uh, of estimations. So people want or expect to get about £30 from their data, again, whether it be their shopping habits or just simply in terms of what they've been searching for online. But the EU has, uh, has estimated that the market could be worth as much as a trillion euros, an annual trillion euros. So this market could be huge. But again, its key thing is consumer control. If you want to have control of your data, then I would invest in this market straight away. So, Paul, to bring you back in, how could consumers control how their data is used, packaged, even sold on? Well, it's been, I mean, it's been an issue for a while, and, and there are already little kind of means that can be taken around email opt-ins, around what you, uh, what boxes you tick when you make a purchase regarding what kind of information can be shared with the shop you're buying from, its marketing partners. You know, Google, Google has a right to be, you know, forgotten right now, which actually has been used extremely sparingly, you know, since it launched uh, in May of last year. So I mean, I think at, at the end of the day, you're talking a lot about kind of the reason why data aggregators haven't become more popular before, because the idea has been around forever, is because there, there actually hasn't been a lot of consumer interest, right? I think that comes back to the fact that people already get a value for their data they perceive, right? I give all my travel data to British Airways and in return I get points and I get upgrades and that kind of thing. Same thing happens, you know, with Amazon where 
told the kind of things that, that I need to buy before I kind of... Before you even realize you need them. Indeed. Indeed. And eventually Amazon will just send them to me, right? And then expect that I'll keep them, right? Because the <laughs> probability is so high that I will. So there's already this, this kind of convenience factor that we all experience for exchanging data. And that's the real danger because um, we don't understand what the real price of that is and how that data is being sold on. It looks like the retailers who understand how that relationship will work in the future will be the successful ones. Well, thanks very much, Hugo and Paul. And you can read FT Money's cover feature telling you everything you need to know about these issues this weekend. Still to come on the show, are HMRC leaving you hanging on the telephone? But before that, the past week has seen a bumper crop of UK economic data, though it's hardly adding up to the Chancellor's dream of a rebalanced economy. Joining us to pick out the highlights is Emily Cadman, the FT's economics reporter. Emily, thanks for joining us today. Now, the piece of UK economic data that has caused your eyebrow to twitch the most wildly in the past week has been the retail sales data. Tell us why. Simply speaking, Claire, it's exceptionally strong. So in the year to October, so that's October compared to the year before, the volume of stuff bought on the high street was 6.5% higher than a year ago. In economic terms, that's massive. That's a really big jump. Now, there are some one-off factors in there. So, for example, we've had the Rugby World Cup, which everyone expected to boost. But even that, consumers are splurging. And indeed, the cover feature of our sister publication, the Investors Chronicle this week, is headlined How to Invest in the Consumer Economy. They make a case for investing in certain retailers, including Dunelm, the home furnishings retailer, and Dixon's Carphone, the home electronics retailer, Listeners should check out the IC website for the full details of those tips. But while we might be tempted to splurge on a new sofa or a smartphone, you think that it's actually the leisure sector, not the retail sector, that's the one to watch. Two reasons for that, Claire. Firstly, demographics. Millennials, as we all know, as every survey we ever read tells us, value experiences over things. These are the group that are coming through. And as we also know, they are generation rent. They don't own their own houses. They're not necessarily in a position to want to buy a new sofa because they're in rental properties. Mm. So they are looking for experiences. Indeed, the unofficial data backs this up. I was looking at some of the Visa, obviously the credit card provider, who can track what we spend. And they say that it's really been the leisure centre that's seen the, the big rise. The second reason is, whilst retailers are seeing great volume increases in sales, the actual money spent isn't increasing by anywhere near as fast a rate. This is because consumers are savvy. They're looking for bargains. And retailers are having to discount to ensure that. So experiences... And high-end goods are probably where the growth is. So restaurants, cinemas, but not supermarkets. So before investors embark on a consumer-themed shopping spree, tell us, is this strong data sustainable or is it being fuelled by rising levels of consumer debt, perhaps? There's no doubt that the credit is rising. People are borrowing more and people are spending more. But we're not in bubble territory yet. The fundamentals are also improving. Wages are up. More people are in employment. And these, in general, mean this growth is probably sustainable. If not at this level, then certainly at an elevated level. And finally, Thursday will bring the Bank of England's latest inflation report. What will economists and investors be looking to hear from the lips of Governor Mark Carney? Really, it all comes down to one question. When are interest rates going to rise? Now, 
judging by market pricing, the markets think it will be a long time off yet. Until recently, they were even thinking it would be 2017. Most economists, however, think that's gone a bit too far. And the question will be, how much does Mark Carney lean back against those expectations and try and bring expectations of the first rate rise back towards sometime in the early part and mid of next year? Well, that's great. We'll be covering that story in detail both in the FT and in FT Money this weekend. That was Emily Cadman, economics reporter at the Financial Times. Before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT Money as part of the Weekend FT, widely available on both Saturday and Sundays, or read us online, ft.com slash money, and follow us on Twitter, at FT Money. MPs have lambasted HM Revenue and Customs this week over its customer service levels, raising fears that its unacceptable performance is having an, an adverse impact on the collection of tax revenues. I'm joined by Adam Palin, FT Money reporter, who's been looking into this story. So, Adam, is the revenues customer service really that bad? Morning, Claire. Well, it it depends what you need or want from them. I, I should say right at the start, the most recent thing I did online for HMRC was very straightforward. It was really online, didn't need to give them a call, didn't need to write to them. It couldn't have been easier. However, for anything remotely complex, and most people do have slightly complex tax affairs, it's often easier to go face-to-face or on the phone. Now, the Public Accounts Committee have described the customer service, and they're referring really to the the phone-based system as abysmal, and now it's even worse. And what they're referring to is a a whole series of poor data uh, that's come out of HMRC about its own performance. Back in the summer, there was analysis of their phone Uh, phone line performance they have a target of answering 80 percent of phone calls within five minutes now this is a target that the government itself has said is inadequate Mm. and unambitious yet in 2014-15 tax year they only achieved 73 percent of of answering all calls and it was only 39 percent so two in five calls were answered within five minutes and a lot of those people, presumably, just hung up, um, as I did when I was trying to get hold of them the other week. Now, aside from being annoying, why do long waiting times on telephone helplines matter? Well, tax professionals are particularly aggrieved about this and, and raise the alarm bells why we should be worried, because it, it matters to get your tax right more and more, not least because the penalties for getting it wrong are severe. It's up to 30% of the tax that you owe if you're viewed to have acted carelessly. Now, that isn't being willfully careless. That could just be an honest mistake. But there is an automatic penalty that can be applied. So if you don't get it right, partly because or often because you're not able to ask simple questions that you might have been able to perhaps at an old inquiry centre or just if there wasn't such a uh, uh, such a long waiting time on the phones, you'd be probably get it right but in fact you could get landed with a a pretty hefty fine for getting it wrong. Now this report has raised fears that the difficulties for consumers to get through to HMRC is going to have an adverse impact on the collection of tax revenues so let's talk about the tax gap this is the difference between what's owed and what's collected. This isn't falling? Not really no it's pretty stubborn and these are HMRC estimates that they publish every year a couple of weeks ago, they came out with an estimate of $34 billion that went uncollected in 2013-14. To put that in perspective, that's about 6.4% of all the tax that's, uh, that's due. Slightly less as a percentage than the previous two years when it was both 6.6%, but 
it's down, I think, from 8.4%, according to their estimates, over the past decade. So it is stubborn, and the Public Accounts Committee say that, genuinely, customer service being poor threatens tax collection, because if you make tax difficult to pay... Surprise, surprise! People might just not do so. So what do HMRC have to say for themselves about this drubbing? Are they going to improve their customer strategy in the long term? Well, the Public Accounts Committee noted that the revenue were not able to outline any detailed plan how they're going to improve their customer service. And in fact, the message coming out of the revenue is that they are, um, well, they're running hot were the exact words of the chief executive when I went to a conference this summer, and they've admitted that they're, they're, they're struggling to an extent with the resources that they have. Of course, they've had big budget cuts, they've lost two-fifths of their staff, and uh, as an offset to this, the long-term strategy is to get us all to do our tax online. The target by 2020 is for us to all have an online tax account, we can just log in, uh, see what tax is due on self-assessment, uh, and even pay it much like you would with your online bank accounts and paying off your credit card or something. But in reality, there are still very large numbers of people who are not online. They're digitally excluded. There's 3 million, according to HMRC's own estimates. That's 10% of all taxpayers are digitally excluded and that they're not online, with a further 3 in 10 needing support. And where that support's going to come from, how it's going to be funded, those are questions that remain outstanding and of great concern to, to anyone looking at the Digital First initiative and trying to work out how it's all going to uh, how it's all going to make life easier for us. And certainly as the tax system in this country becomes more complex with more and more people dragged into self-assessment, the need to speak to an advisor surely has never been greater. Well, thank you very much, Adam Palin, for that report. We'd love to know what you think about the HMRC phone line disaster, who really controls your data, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website, ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else is in this weekend's edition. Where next for the property market? The doomsters are gathering on the sidelines, but we examine a clutch of new reports which tell a rather different story. And is the cost of dry cleaning your office wear leaving a blot on your finances? Our at FT thrift column features a way of cutting your bills without cramping your style. Plus, we've shared tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and the latest director's deals. The Money Show is produced and edited in London by Naomi Rovnik. We will be back next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, Hugo, Emily, Adam and our guest, Paul English. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.